to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, today, I'm really excited to have Christina Miles on. Um, we're going to talk about all things UX, UI, which we haven't really done maybe like one other episode previously. I think UX is just such an important part of user experience. <laughs> and, you know, especially when we're thinking about things like uh, Fatui flows and, you know, just how much of a drop off we have and how important the user experience is from the very beginning. Um, ah, I'm just so excited to dive in. Uh, anyways, well, before we do, I always like to start with, uh, you know, Christina, what's your story? Like, how did you get into games and, and how did you end up working at uh, Electric Square doing UX? Um, hi, Tom. And thank you, so my, uh, thank you so much for inviting me for this session. Um, so my story. Um, I actually ended up in the game industry very accidentally. I had no clue how I applied for this job, for my first <laughs> job, sorry. Uh, it was in Electric Square, but... Um, yeah, it was very accidental. I came to the uh, company, which was five minutes from my home, which was very convenient. And um, they've been talking about the project, asking me questions, and I had no clue what's going on and what I supposed to do. But somehow um, it worked. <laughs> and I started working with this company. And the first uh, project that I've been working on was uh, CSR Classic, which was in up quite big. And I think it's top grossing game for a very long time. Um, I don't think so that it's top grossing anymore, but it was uh, for a couple of years. There's CSR so, too, so you're, yeah, close yeah, enough. CSR, <laughs> no, it took the whole, like there was CSR racing, which I was working in as well, uh, but CSR too took the whole glory from all other CSR projects. So yeah, it was very accidental, but uh, originally my background allows me to work with the user experience because I've been doing user experience and UI for uh, the web and for the applications. And I also have the graphic background as well, so and graphic design. So that's, that's basically accidentally, but I'm very happy. I even took one year off to think about, do I want to stay in the game industry? So we decided to go to do master on a very a random topic, not random topic, it was communication design, but I still not related to game exactly. But at the end of my master, I actually did a game project. So mm. it was obvious sign to me that I actually like what I'm doing. So before we dive into stuff, you know, can you define for people that maybe aren't aware of what UI UX is or why it's important, like, like, like what is user experience design? Well, user experience is basically the experience, the player's experience. It's everything what they see, everything what they think, and uh, how do they uh, go through one screen to another screen? How do they communicate with the game, how the game communicate with them, the feedback and all this just. So it's a lot of things. It's not necessarily only buttons like some people think. Um, it goes further. It uh, has a lot of uh, overcross with the design. It goes a lot of things that kind of like overcross the art part. For example, if we're talking about um, environment, there could be some uh, language uh, that could be part of uh, uh, the game design that also user experience. Uh, so all these things, it's uh, user experience. And of course, it's already found very important and like it's everywhere. 
Yeah. So, so to maybe like wrap my head around it, do you have an example of something maybe you worked on somewhat recently where you came in and you saw this screen, like what was wrong with it? And then how did you, you know, go in and, and fix that? All right. That's that. Actually, I do have an example of that. So uh, the recent published project that I've been working from not very, very beginning, which usually what I prefer, I really like to start with very beginning. Um, I started working with this project uh, um, in the middle of iPhone and it's called uh, Detonation Racing. It's on Apple Arcade. And I've been looking at the post uh, post uh, race screen uh, when you know when you get your information about how you did, and then when you see the information about the challenges and how much stuff you get from doing cool stuff in the game. And it was very very confusing because it was a lot of uh, rewards going on after each other that was related to different things in the game, like. Uh, for your progression in the game and for the dailies and uh, the main campaign. And it was very confusing. So because you just receive a lot of things at the same time, you don't know what's going on, uh, why. And we've been working on these couple screens, on the rewards, on uh, the information and on the animation, which is technically the feedback as well. When, how it appear and make them different or some uh, elements make them same because they actually the same screen but why they looks different so it was um not only one screen but it was a couple of things all together like post race feature that i've been uh, dealing with and there was more stuff like that um so yeah i don't have a story you know when you change the uh, color of the button and you like <laughs> You didn't, you didn't see a 300% increase for changing the button slightly? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I read a book about uh, uh, one of the designers. He said, like, I changed the green, uh, I changed the button to green and massively increase uh, monetization. And like, what? <laughs> well, that, that might be true, but I, I don't have stories like that, unfortunately. I, I, I see some guests, the CPIs for like hyper casual games on, on LinkedIn. And it's like one of these had a 50%, you know, drop in CPI or something. I can never guess them, but, uh, you know, kudos to those who can. Um, but, you know, back to this uh, example of yours. Um, so that sounds interesting. And I, I feel like I could maybe identify that as a problem um, or that, you know, something maybe needs to change there. But like, how do you actually approach figuring out what needs to change and, and how it needs to change and, and why maybe like, do you try to, I don't know, play the game a lot yourself? Or are you trying to like talk to a lot of users? Are you using surveys? Like what, what's your process? Well, uh, depends on the stage of the game. Um, we do play test, we have rapid play test, we have, uh, you get, for, for example, data after live ops uh, from your telemetry, that is great. Um, so at first, you probably uh, need to understand the design, you need to talk with designers to figure out what we are trying to achieve, you need to align on goals, what a particular feature is supposed to do. Uh, we need to think about um, the audience, the player, how they look like, not visually, of course, but who they are, how they're going to play. Um, are they going to play on the sofa? Uh, do, they, do they want to play with their friends and stuff like that? Uh, their preferences, how, how long they're going to play and stuff like that. All this information are extremely crucial for the user experience because something that you do 
can actually increase uh, stickiness and can uh, be very enjoyable. But other things, when your audience are different, can actually be, I don't know, extra frictions and uh, you want to like cut them off. Or for example, you actually want to add something uh, to, to the game. So it's a lot of things I would say probably like alignment on goals, alignment on, on our players and alignment on how uh, they're going to interact with the game and when. So when you know that, uh, that's when you can look, you can play by yourself, you play uh, with uh, your colleagues, uh, perhaps you can have some studio test or you can have some online services that can uh, provide you uh, with a different players uh, and then you can see does this work or it doesn't work and so on yeah that's interesting you, you brought up something that i've kind of been noodling over for for a while um so one of the i think most effective ways to group your players is by looking at their overall play behaviors and, and what i mean by that is like some of your players might you know play once per day but it's like a two hour stretch from like seven to 9 PM. And then other players might play like 20 times throughout the day, but it's like three minute, you know, little increments and stuff. And I think the way that those people play are going to be vastly different. So my, my question, is it ever appropriate to think about some sort of segmented UX design where players that behave like this actually see a different version of the game or different versions of the screens than these other players so that we can best serve what they typically like to do within their gameplay experience? Um, well, perhaps if if uh, the game design will allow you to do that, that uh, not necessary that you will do, especially if you are doing a game casual or super casual. So you from the very, very beginning, you know that you're going to have very, very different players with very different skills. And during the uh, life cycle of your game, you will have noobs, you will have players who stuck with your game for, for years. Uh, so I guess that would be very expensive solution for this problem. So if you have different players and you need to change uh, uh, overly how the game looks like, uh, it might be a little bit more expensive. Again, there could be, uh, there could be a thing. Um, uh, you can get, you can unlock things and stuff like that. You can upgrade uh, a personal environment where, for example, the player customizes the characters' cars forever. So it's a lot of solutions for that. But I would hardly imagine that you can completely change the game. Or again, if you have a lot of players, you may think about adding um, different mods for the game so for example some players will um play a bit more with um, a single player campaign uh, other players may mm, they don't want to play often but they like to play for a long time with their friends um so maybe pvp in this case offline online um so yeah uh you can add things for different players and that makes sense because you really want to attract as much places as you can and but all these things should work together right so it should be it still should feel like one experience so no matter yeah. what, what you're playing um what color of your homepage look like it's still it's still the same game um so yeah yeah why not <laughs> <laughs> cool um 
thinking about like, you know, what is maybe the best way to work with a, a UX designer? Like, is it to come to you and say, okay, Christina, I have this game. Let's do uh, League of Legends Wild Rift because I just played that a bunch to do a podcast episode recording, which was which was fun. Uh, I had to delete it because it was absorbing me into it again. Um, but uh, one interesting change that they did in Wild Rift while I was playing, getting ready to do the podcast, um, they released a client update. And previously, when you won the game or lost the game or whatever, like the in-game screen, it would you know, just kind of show you how you did amongst, you know, compared to everyone else. Then they added this change in with the new version. I don't know if it's still there, but at least it was the last time that I played. Um, and after that, you know, how you did screen, you like click through and they pop up and it's like a results page. And they brought in all of your different like live ops, you know, daily quests and things that you're working towards. And and you see, oh, you have dropped four out of five wards or you've played the mage two out of three times now. Um, and all these things, which I imagine, like to me, triggered psychologically of like, oh, I just need to do one more game and I can play the mage and I'll make sure that I do the ward and I'll do these couple other things so that I can like get the full, you know, unlock and rewards. Um, but all that to say, you know, is the best approach to come to you as the UX designer and say, okay, Christina, we're trying to figure out how to get people to go from, let's say they're currently playing three games per day to five games per day. Like, is, is that a problem that they would come to you with? Or, you know, what's the best way to approach it? Like, is it based around the problem and then kind of unleash you? Oh, that could be uh, different ways. We can go this way. Uh, most or oh, from my experience, I would say I'm starting at very, very early at the project when there is no design basically at all yeah. waste. So it means we are creating game from scratch all together with designer. So we mm -hmm. are dealing with these challenges together. And yeah, uh, I, it's really hard to say because you know the projects change uh, very, very massively during the uh, production to production period. And um, sometimes the, these kind of challenges came from um, designers that want to uh, they want to add a little bit more attention, which you just described quite a good retention behind it because it's like a hope that ask yep. you to play again, or then you would remember, then you return, and then again, you will play and play and play. So yeah, uh, but yeah, as soon as it's possible, I would say you it, you would benefit start working with a designer, a user experience designers, definitely. Mm. Uh, you don't need to wait till, you know, all designer placed because um, it's, much harder to change something especially if it's like a core experience uh because it takes more time it takes more resources you don't want to do that so you want to bring all people straight away and yeah. then even more so it depends on the game um, uh the game that you just said they have not only one user experience they have actually <laughs> user experience team and ui team separately <laughs> so um yeah as soon as, as, as you can. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, at what point in the, let's say, player flow? So I'm not too versed on Apple Arcade, but let's talk about like maybe standard mobile of like where typically the player sees an ad, they click the ad, see some screenshots, click in, download the game, et cetera. Um, you know, should the 
UX designer be incorporated at the point of like the creative design that goes into the ad or like at what point in that step do you come in? Like, is, is it only after you've downloaded and opened the game and you get into the Fatui or, you know, could a UX designer be incorporated at the very first step and then into, you know, designing the screenshots and, you know, all the way through? Um, uh, yes, um, I think you, you should incorporate the user experience designer straight away. And uh, it's slightly hard for me to say because I'm user experience and UI artist as well. So things that visual is also part of what I'm doing. So I'm definitely doing, uh, thinking about the kind of screenshots that are the best to present our game, what action sense is the best. Um, uh, when we do promo videos, it's also like uh, on my shoulders and I'm, it's not only me working, but we're working with our small team to deliver all these assets, marketing process. So definitely, yes. Uh, who else is going to do that? <laughs> you need a designer for that. So basically, if people want a good UX designer that can do lots of things, they should reach out to you and try to recruit you away, huh? <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, I'm not the only one. I think uh, in, in the game industry, still, uh, in even big companies, you, you will wear a lot of hats. Um, not only when you user experience design, I guess even when you're a designer, um, you still wear a lot of hats. Anyone, anyone in the game <laughs> industry, a lot of hats, just prepare yourself. Um, once I even did deliveries for cars because uh, it was fun to do. I was interested. Wow. I knew how to do that. Um, I had a graphic background. I know how to use uh, 3D programs. So why not? <laughs> that's impressive. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of things that you're going to do. So that's, that's just prepare yourself. That's fun. You never do the same thing all over again. So it's always a lot of cool stuff. That's why I like game design actually. Much, much, much better than working with boring bank applications. You know, at, at different stages of the game, uh, you know, you say you like to kind of come in early stage in the game. Um, do you typically start with kind of wireframing out, like here are the different screens and here is how each screen is going to kind of connect to each other? Uh, yes. Uh, I think something visual that you will see first is going to be some wireframes and have some flows even because at the very, very beginning, you wouldn't have as much details to have like a you know the bar with a lot of a lot of details, but you will need to think about the the core flow, the flow itself, how to um, how to uh, fit different features together. So it's going to be maybe less details, uh, detailed flows and wireframes that uh, you're going to talk about. Think about how does it um, connect to to the uh, design ideas um, and on the background, you also will start thinking, if we mix user experience and UI a little bit on the background of that, you also start with art, thinking about um, how the game going to look like, uh, what we're making. Um, it's going to be also a lot of documentation at the very beginning. It's always a lot of documentation. Um, you shouldn't underestimate how much stuff you need to write. <laughs> um, and. I guess you will uh, think about your audience at this time. So there will be some um, um, players' profiles and user flows. Yeah, definitely user flows. So, you know, for the skeptics that are listening, um, why do I need to bother with, you know, user flows and things like that? You know, I'm, I'm just trying to make a game. Why is it important to have flow screens? Because that's how you will know that you 
doing a good game without uh, finishing that and found out that you're missing something. So that's it's like step-by-step -step work that helps you to um, do less mistakes and verify stuff on the way that you are building it. So it's really, really helps. Plus, um, you work in, well, depends on the size of, uh, of your team. I guess, again, when we return to uh, what we've been talking before, that in game industry, we are wearing a lot of hats. So if you're working in a small indie studio that you're probably an artist, UI artist and designer at the same time, uh, which is fine. But if it's a bigger, uh, bigger group of people who is doing game, you need to communicate your ideas and um, visually, not only visually documents and stuff like that to other people, to directors, to your clients as well. So that's how you're going to do. No one going to wait half a year happily sitting uh, till you uh, do the game and they like sign and give you all money. You need to sign all steps and uh, the clients usually wants to understand what you're doing. So the flows also help uh, to do that. Yeah. So, you know, maybe to distill that down into some basic understanding of myself, if I have a game and I want to have an inbox in my game, I need to at least have a basic idea of from the home screen, how do the players actually get to the mailbox? How does that mailbox screen actually open up and, you know, roughly look like so that I can actually have a plan? Because if you don't have the right plan to begin with, it might get buried somewhere and it takes like five, six clicks and players will never be able to even know that there's a mailbox out there. So you'll not even be able to really use it. Exactly. Or it could be placed in a very crowded place. There could be no space on the screen. If that's, that happens with mobile games quite a lot, actually. Um, as far as we all remember, mobile screens are very small um, and we have uh, fat fingers. Um, so <laughs> all things that needs to be uh the thing that a button needs to be finger size at least so um uh yeah uh flows really really helps again you're saying you have a game at the beginning you have no game you have just idea uh that's why so uh the flow help you to understand that actually your idea works so it's mm -hmm. for designers for for all other people to understand because again that's very cheap way to actually uh play test at the very, very beginning. So you may have not much in engine at the moment. For example, there could be a couple squares that are driving around. So you can test, you can start testing base layer, but what about your retention layer? So yeah. having a flow, and again, it's much quicker developing that in um, wireframes rather than doing this in engine. Um, so it's, it's a lot of reason why you should do that. And um, we just named a couple of them. So um, yeah, and things that you said as well, um, where this button, the first question, why do we need uh, inbox? So that, that's the first, I would probably say that you need to question, is it something that the, your player is going to use? Is it part of uh, uh, the design? And then when it needs to be uh, at what part of flow it will occur? So all these things are very important and uh, user experience really helps to uh, do this right. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, you, you did touch on something that I, I think is pertinent. And I remember my, my first 
real startup um, where we ended up going international. There was um, some location in the UI where we'd have hot as bolded exclamation point, and it worked really great. Um, and it was like three years, and finally somebody notified us that like for the Germans, hot is like this crazy long word that like destroys the UI and. I don't know how it was like so utterly missed, but like, uh, I don't even think those German users like could have, you know, used it. So I think we just always thought, oh, you know, Germany is just really not that strong, but maybe it was just because of the terrible, terrible experience they were having. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, how do you design with localization in mind? Because, you know, you might call out inbox here, but inbox in Russian might be three times as long. Um, so, and, you know, how do you, how do you design for that? Uh, so there are a couple of things, uh, uh, first, um, yes, different languages have different lengths. Think about Arabic that completely swap from right to left, left to right. <laughs> so that's even, uh, even worse. And then when you think about languages like Japanese, um, Korean, uh, Chinese, simplified Chinese, uh, um, and traditional Chinese. That's that's just that's very like it's very different. It's not like English, nothing. Um, so, firstly, you think about that. Uh, you definitely, I for UI artists, I would say, think about font. Your font should support other languages. Localization is very important. That's your retention mechanic. That accessibility. It's a lot of things. So you need to think about how to translate your game to other. Um, other markets and uh, think about font. It's very hard to find font that uh, has all these uh, options uh, in terms of languages. So that's, I guess, uh, small advice for, I guess, less experienced people. Um, so another thing that what I usually do, um, because I know that, yes, German, for example, can be much longer than um, English, some important uh, like buttons or uh, areas in the game, some titles or something like that. I'm actually tend to test in in have Google Translator. You might be not correct, um, and of course, like um, I speak Russian as well, so it's easy for me to to check Russian uh, or all European languages as well. It's very easy because the Google Translator is doing a very great job. Yep. I'm struggled with Chinese and <laughs> Arabic and and Japanese and etc. Of course, uh, you might have a lot of uh, people in your team that can help you as well. Think about that. Uh, you can use this resource. Um, but that helps you to understand, for example, that the next button that you plan to have very small is not going to be small. Uh, when you um, when you build an engine again, you think, oh, then let's make this flexible. Um, for example, it can shrink down. But then it needs to like shrink down the button next to it because they like two together. So it would look odd if one shrink down in size and another. So it's, you know, it's like, it's not hard, but you need to just keep this in mind. And it's good that you ask. It means you're thinking about that. We're thinking about it all the time. All games that have been working, we all games have been translated to 16 languages. So it's something everyday life. And of course, sometimes, um, something came uh, from the back report that, you know, some word that's extremely long. And again, we returned to the company who does translation for us. We asked maybe it's possible to actually change to another 
word because mm. quite often languages have synonyms, right? And you can yep. use one, and you can use another. That's another way. Um, uh, and if it's really, really long, um, that's that's probably maybe you need to think about uh, the English word. Maybe you need to change that one as well. Yeah. So it, it, it is tough. You definitely, <laughs> if there is a button, you don't want to make button that takes the whole screen. So you need to do something with it. You either change the sites, you either change the uh, translation, you can, you can change the word, word. So different things. So be flexible. There yeah. is no one <laughs> silver bullet what you need to do for that. Do you find for buttons, you can sometimes get away with, you know, using icons instead, or can that be confusing too? Like I, I see a lot of mobile games, they have a continue button at the bottom, which again, you probably have enough synonyms that you can do that, but you know, could you replace that with a simple, you know, triangle for, for play or like continue or something as you'd see in your Netflix, which I feel like is going to be more synonymous across, you know, all countries or you know, do you see that sometimes it's better to have text? Well, uh, you can, some buttons you can replace with icons. Uh, sometimes you can support icons with text, but it's not the solution for uh, localization because there is no way how you can uh, exchange text for uh, icons. Yep. Uh, because, mm, I don't know, yeah, continue next, back, it's easy, but if you think others uh, claim, for example, it's not going to be universal. It's not going to be universal on our 16 languages, 100% sure. And even when you do the game for kids audience who doesn't know how to read, in this case, yes, you definitely use less text, but still because some games he's playing with, uh, with um, uh, um, parents, so mm -hmm. uh, they can ask some support from parents. So having text and icon, sometimes better idea just having text and no one understand it. Child doesn't understand, the parent doesn't understand, no one understand. So um, yeah, that's hard. Still, you can't you can't replace text with icons. I wish, I wish I, I like I like icons, but um, it's not the solution. Okay, I have one final question and I'll, I'll, I'll leave localizations alone. Uh, what's your typical recommendation on how to work with, um, let's say I want to start bringing my game into the MENA regions where you know Arabic and, and some others, they read right to left. I have to orient it or you know, sometimes, you know, I remember doing translations way, way back in the day where I'm like copying and pasting them in and I'm, I'm worried that I'm pasting it even in like the wrong order or whatnot, you know, do you typically just see the game, you know, if typically you've got your text up here, have a inverted version of your game to support them? Or, you know, do you see something else? So we have uh, some magic code that does this for us. And we have um, localization sheets with all languages in tables that usually fill by a localization company that does this for mm -hmm. us. So, uh, it's not much that you are doing in terms of user experience or UI. It's something that bugs, if there is a bug, you will going to fix that, or uh, UI uh, technical artists, for example. Um, but uh, the way how it's actually done in the game, uh, well, if you, don't, if you have a programming skills that you would do that, if not, then it's going to little, be- A little magic, huh? Project. 
Yeah, and again, translation, um, personally, never copy any text to maybe at the very, very beginning of the project, you know, when it's not um, cyan, uh, because localization, again, it goes through uh, a lot of agreements because you don't want to put any root words accidentally or anything like that. So yep. that's something that uh, you verify um, with a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's basically it's a code magic, so that everything is flipped. So um, yeah, that you need to ask, uh, you need to invite uh, the coder <laughs> for your podcast to ask about it. Get some magical coders. I love it. Exactly. Love it. Okay, so jumping back a couple steps, we had our flow chart that you should probably outline before you really start coding. Um, how can slash should you plan for future features and screens? Like I, I see it in a lot of games, especially. Um, it, it seems like they weren't really planning for, let's say, live ops or for, you know, something in there. And, you know, you, you start with this like really pristine first time user experience. And then, you know, a year or two in, you keep throwing in all these like new features. And, and it's just like a it's so hard to navigate around. And I think for like your elder players that have been there the whole time that slowly get these new things, it's okay for them. But for someone that comes in like a year after that, they're trying, they just have no idea where they should be going or what they should be doing. So I'm just curious, like when and how should you plan for, Hey, this is going to be something in the future. or Hey, we're launching without live ops events or weekend events or something, but it's going to live here in this screen. We're just not going to make it right now. And then it's going to, you know, kind of branch off from there. So I'm, I'm just generally curious, like, should you roadmap those things out for like five years so you have designs? Well, that's, that's a good question. So uh, you will definitely benefit if you can roadmap some uh, live ops features or uh, further features, definitely. Uh, at least uh, to have a plan for first year of live ops that's something that you should try to do uh, that would be very unwise to you know to to never think about what's going on with your game uh, you need to believe in the game that's first I think that kind of comes together but of course you wouldn't be able to tell what's good what will happen with your game in five years time the people will change in the team the designers the UI artists everyone you know that's that's normal life for any game and uh, your audience will change as well. So you wouldn't be able to tell as much, but planning for first year, that is very important. Um, again, you don't need to implement, but actually that's such a good task for uh, user experience artists and for designers together. You don't need to think about like, maybe you still need to, I guess, estimate with the code team uh, and it would be easy to estimate as soon as uh, designers and UI artists do their work because they can explain the code team what uh, technical parts we require from them to do. Uh, so that is important. That is definitely part of uh, production, part of planning you know, for the future. Um, and when I'm working, I always try to think about, oh, well, that's the campaign. Uh, we have like five, for example, events. I'm sure we're going to add more than think about it. This needs to be scrollable. Talk with core team and tell them, well, we're not going to scroll now. Uh, we don't have budget for you to build this feature. But when you do it now, think about that. 
in year time, someone or maybe you going to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how it works. So you think about as much as you can, plus you do planning with uh, your team, with the production, with the designers, with directors, and just be prepared that there will be something in live ops that you never heard about before, something absolutely new. And maybe perhaps you even need to like rework a couple screens because of that. Top bar, bottom bar, I don't know. That's that's fine. That's games. I like it. Um, so uh, maybe on that note, how should UI UX be included in uh, live ops? Let's say maybe new live ops designs like, okay, we're going to be working on a new feature, um, which is, a, let's say, like a tournament event. So we're going to be creating that dev for the next two months and then we're going to launch it. Um, how should, you know, someone like you be included on that? Um for designing out so that we have a, a smooth experience that players are going to enjoy and, and engage in. Um, all right. So live ops. So uh, again, depends on game uh, that works very differently. For example, uh, most of my games that I've been working, we do have live ops, but our live ops are mostly like a content, uh, new content creation, which is usually means that your team is very small. Um, mm -hmm. And when you think about Mm, Fortnite team, right? They live up <laughs> the same as they. I think they live up team actually bigger than uh, probably when they doing, uh, because now they're a big company, right? Uh, so um, yes, you do need to work together on your live op stuff on new features. Uh, you need to include uh, designers. Depends on the feature. The tournament actually is quite a big feature because it's a lot of new screens. There could be some new elements. And you need to integrate this new thing in your old flow. And you maybe need to change your Futui as well. So it's a lot of work, actually. Uh, it's not tiny little, you know, not extra banner for an extra event, right? That That's much bigger. So you definitely will benefit if you will work with um, UI uh, UX artist. As soon as you know the feature size, you can think about how many artists you need uh, to, how many people you need for this feature. Uh, maybe you need add a bit more uh, artists, for example. Maybe you need add a bit more user experience. Maybe you need more programmers uh, to do this feature. So it really depends what you want to bring in your game. So almost, you know, to, to kind of answer the question myself, you should probably have the UX designer working early on with the game designer and maybe the developer to spec out what are the screens that we need for this? What existing screens need to be changed or tweaked or edited so that it flows into our large flow diagram that we have for the player experience, right? Um, and you know, then from there, you can take a look and say, okay, we know exactly what we need to do. Now we can you know, either assess out how many people we need or how long it's going to take and kind of plan accordingly into our roadmap. And one more. I would say that user experience helps designers to actually build a better game because we are looking at saying things from different perspective, from different point of view, that actually helps to make the feature better and better for the game, better for uh Yeah. I guess, you know, with the UX in mind, and I'm thinking about live ops. So live ops, when I'm designing an event, um, I want to... Well, I, I guess 
I, I want to think about it in a way of how can I reuse this event such that a year from now, it's still going to be fun and interesting and engaging for my players because I don't have a lot of resources like, well, you know, maybe for Fortnite we do, we don't have a lot of resources to like make brand new events every single week, every single month. Right. But so, but we want to make like one holiday event and give it enough flexibility and controls that I can change it so that while it's still like the same backend UX design and, and JSON that's powering it, it feels different enough to players that it's like fun and engaging. So maybe the Valentine's Day event, you've got three reward tiers, but the St. Patrick's Day, now there's 10 of them and it lasts for two weeks or something like that. And with different goals or something. Um, so uh, how would UX, you know, play into a little bit of that design with the uh, game designer? Is that kind of a hey, here's the event that we're thinking of doing. And you kind of put together a wireframe and say, you know, what are the pieces on here that you want to be able to control? You want to be able to change, ideally, in your over-the-air live ops tool. Uh, all right. Oh, that, that is a great question. And I think most of the time, uh, whatever you're doing, you want to reuse in the game because uh, bringing more and more stuff to, uh, to game, it's impossible. There is always cut off in terms of how much new um you know new objects you can bring and stuff like that because otherwise players will wait for our hour to download your game they only do this for Fortnite anyway so um yes you uh, you think about that in advance uh you think about that for example uh oh you you want to change simple you can start simply from you know that colors for example uh we can have uh, different type of rewards in 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 events. There could be a couple of rewards. So you just plan all these things at the very very beginning. Uh, again, when I've been given an example before about um, live ops uh, game that I've been working and uh, we did the first events was uh, with um, YouTubers and then. Obviously, you can't all the time make uh, with the YouTubers because it's too expensive. <laughs> Uh, so we decided to do just cars instead. So we just uh, replace the colors, we replace patterns, replace rewards, replace everything. And we build the system that allowed you to do this cheaply. And we mm -hmm. think about all these things in advance. Um, there was like uh, a lot of different elements and there was a guidance how they need to work with uh, different systems. And it, it was basically like a framework. So at the end, we created a framework that tells you what to do in different things. And it was very, very flexible. So you just think about that. You don't, you, you, I just don't even know how you can do something in game that's not flexible enough. The flexibility for everything uh, for the game, it's very, very important. It's like must have for most of the features. You know that things are changing. You know that you need to modify them. So you, you keep this um, mentality. Uh, all the time with you when you uh, when you design something. Yeah, I like that. So, final question as is you kind of triggered something which I wanted to ask about too. Um, I think oftentimes in today's games, there's uh, lots of spots within the game where I think it makes sense kind of a triggering action or uh, if a player does this, I want to be able to react to it, whether I'm popping up some sort of offer or a, you know, in-game message. So like I enter the arena for the first time and I want to pop up a message and give them the gladiator armor and uh, unlock a new event where they're working towards 
winning 10 battles. So they get their, you know, gladiator sword or something like that. Um, do you ever design for these sorts of trigger points of like where I want something to happen? And at what point, you know, in the game design overall, like, does it make sense to think about those? That, that's for sure. That, that's definitely part of the uh, user experience that the players feel back. You are doing that all the time, even, even feedback, like, simple you know when you press button and it does uh, the sound effect it's uh, has some animation it can squeeze for example very cute animation not often you have enough time to do something like that but all these things are important how for example pop-ups appear on the screen when they appear on the screen um what these pop-ups contain do they have like titles do they have iconography uh, does it anything moves if there is two things uh do we have that attract animation and it's a lot of things, so you need to kind of um, think about all these things logically and group them, because you, again, the good thing when you do the same type of feedback, visual or graphical or audio feedback for same things and different for other things, it means that firstly it's great accessibility design, and mm. also it helps to teach players so they will know about something without even realizing um, what they're doing. Uh, and then that's really great. So you need to think about all these things. For example, when you get new stuff, you will have a peep, for example. Uh, when you want to just attract something, it will shake uh, in particular way. And all elements will shake same way. And all peeps will, uh, again, do their own animation and look exactly the same. Uh, maybe you will need to have two types of peeps so that will help players to understand what's going on. Uh, same with the audio as well, that's very important. So like uh, buttons that do things like next, 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 or play, 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 they will have their own color, their own, own sound, the way how you press, the way how the button react would be one style. And for example, um, I don't know, buttons that you press uh, to buy things or uh, going back or just, you know, agree on the pop-up, like, okay, or, or, or close or something like that, they will have their own style and uh, own logic. And you will think about that same for the feedback. Um, so, yeah, that's something that uh, user experience do and uh, that's part of what uh, we are doing. And, yeah, you try to just, you know, group things so you make your life easier, you make uh, developer life easier, so you don't give them constantly different things. Uh, so they need to implement, and it's easier to maintain after as well, yeah. in level, for example. That's great. Cool. Well, I have one more unofficial question because it is the Mastering Retention podcast, of course, and that is, um, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to boost and increase retention? Like, how do you keep your players playing for longer? Um, I would probably say I try to spend lots of time with polishing the Futui because that helps players from the beginning uh, loving your guy, uh, game more. And also it helps new players to understand. So that's where I would probably focus the most. Uh, it's not helping to retain old players, but again, it can help uh, make the uh, experience of players who played did some gap and they want to return back good enough so they stuck with your game again so that's something that is extremely important in game and we know that because they won the seven retention these you know these numbers are crazy right yeah. uh, so the futuri is really really important so don't leave it to the last minute <laughs> love it 
Well, that's great. Uh, well, Christina, if people do have any questions for you, is there a good way for them to get in contact with you? Absolutely. You can ask me a question on LinkedIn or you can write me an email, I guess. LinkedIn, I think, is better way. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you.